Some of you may have looked at our bulletin this morning and thought there was a typographical error, but actually there's not. Last week, I had this particular sermon ready, and then God had other plans, and gave me a whole other sermon on exactly the same scriptures. So you're getting the scriptures again, but not the same sermon. One of the things that uh, Tom and Glenn and I have toyed with is uh, I'll take two weeks off, not because I need weeks off, but because I don't want to be here. We'll, the three of us, sit down and pick out scripture, the same scripture that we're all going to preach from. And each one of us preach on it on a different Sunday and not consulting with each other and see how each of us interprets and let you all see how scripture can sometimes be interpreted very differently by different people. This is kind of like that. Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. Listen to God's word. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Listen again. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are dying? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Even to this day, Thunder and rain make me nervous. Not because I don't like them and not because I'm scared of them, but my first thought is, is my tent secure? <laughs> one year at summer camp, we had two weeks solid of camp and one day without constant 24-hour rain. And it was a mess. And that was in 1981. And I guarantee you, every one of us who was there, you asked them, what's the first thing you think when you hear a storm? Is my tent secure? They'll all tell you that. 
because you leave your tent open once in a storm and sleep in a wet tent. Ooh, that's terrible. In fact, it creates a lot of chaos because everybody is wet and cannot get dry. Everywhere you go, you're tracking in mud and you go into the dining hall and the poor dining hall steward looks and we're all tracking mud through the place, about a hundred of us. And after every meal, they have to spray down the floor and wash it all over again. So nobody sleeps very much. But I think Jesus would have. <laughs> I'm not much of a sleeper. I wake up pretty easy. Uh, both of my sons, though, can fall asleep standing up. And I envy that sometimes. But Jesus seems to be perfectly at ease with whatever is happening. Now, how he doesn't wake up, or if he was just pretending still to be asleep, to see when they would come and ask him for help, we don't have any way to know. But I like to think he was asleep. That just makes the story a lot better. And it's interesting that the disciples in the boat are panicking. So it must be dangerous because if you think about it, four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen on that body of water. They knew everything about that sea. And they couldn't see the storm coming. Now that's interesting. The sea and the waters throughout Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, remind us of chaos. Remind us of all of the, the disturbances, the turmoil in the world. And that's why our first book begins with God hovering over the waters. It's to remind us that our God is a God of order who brought peace to chaos. Water means a lot, and not just at baptism. If you go to the Yigal Alon Museum, there's an ancient boat. It's 27 feet, they found it in the mud, it's 27 feet long and seven feet across. They had to piece it together because, you know, a boat that goes back to the first century in Palestine. That's an old boat. And it was only preserved because the mud prevented a lot of oxygen from getting to it. So it was still there. They just had to keep it wet in order to rebuild it. But they repaired it. They got some spare parts from another old boat they'd found. They decided they could do better if they put them both together and got a whole boat out of it, or as much as they could. And think about this. As they did that, they realized that old boat had also been pieced together from parts of other boats previously in its life. And most of the boats on the Galilee at that time were pieced together. You might say baling wire and duct tape. They kept them floating because they had to fish. 
And the faster you can get it seaworthy again, the more fish you can catch. So think about that while you think about this storm battering this boat. We'll say it's 27 feet long and 7 feet across. And it's put together with bubble gum and duct tape. Yes, bubble gum. Bazooka Joe, in fact. Just so you know. So imagine that beating this poor boat up. The disciples are fit, some of them are fishermen, and they know, you know what's going to break first. Because we know how this boat is put together. We know how it's been repaired. And they are scared. And that should tell us something about the seaworthiness of the boat. It might not have been all that great. And so they're scared. And they have every right to be afraid. They could be dead at any moment. There's a happy thought. So Jesus is sound asleep when all this is happening. The sailors know they're going to die. And Jesus is over there snoring like nothing's going on. I like to think that Jesus snored. I think that would make him far more interesting. But they feared this great fear that was within them. They were scared to death. In other words, they were so worried about the chaos that they almost didn't think about Jesus. They were so caught up in the terror of the moment they forgot, look, this guy's with us. Maybe he can do something. They were desperate. They didn't expect him just to tell the storm, shh, and it would stop. And then he turns on them and says, what's wrong with you? Seriously, how long do I have to hang out with you before you figure this out? Rats. There was a, a man who came to see me some time ago, and I've told some of you this story before. He came to talk with me about some problems he was having with his neighbors in his trailer park. And no matter what he did, he could not get them at least to be cordial with him. They were, he said they were just mean and rude and you know, gunning their car engine at four in the morning and just all this stuff. And nobody could seem to get him to calm down. And he was looking at me and I said, well, what are your options? And he said, well, I can't lock the place up and leave. And I said, hold on. Where's that a rule? Well, I can't just do that. No, no, no. You think about it. You can lock the place and go away. That's an option. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. But don't put restrictions on yourself that don't even exist in reality. And how often do we all do that? I'm going to tell you about a restriction we're going to have. When we do our prayer of confession and our affirmation of faith, 
What I want everybody to do is listen to me as you speak and go at my speed because we're going to slow down. Our favorite way to do the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know we're trying to get out of here, but let's slow down so we can think about what we're saying and pray it from our hearts. We're never trapped by anything. Is there anybody here who truly believes they can't lock their house and go away? See, it's not that you can't. We can't. It's that we won't. And a lot of times when we're saying we can't, we really should insert the word won't. These guys in the boat could be calm, but they won't be. But it was perfectly possible Jesus pulled it off. Why didn't they all lay down and go to sleep? Because they weren't fools. But daggum. When they felt trapped out there on that sea, they felt helpless. They felt like there was nothing they could do. It was all beyond their power. We cannot make it. Wake him up. At least then he'll know he's going to die. They realized too late that they weren't trapped. Think about this. Some people would say, well, they had to be rational. Tony, you've got to be rational. You can't just lock your house and walk off. No, if you think that, you're irrational. There's no rule, there's no law, there's no nothing. There's not even anything in Scripture that says you can't lock your house and walk off. In fact, Jesus kind of encourages that. Lock it all up and come with me. What do you do if you get lost in the woods? This is important information for where we live. What do you do if you get lost in the woods? Stop moving. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Oh, but you should look for moss on the north side of the... Don't do that. Any Boy Scout can tell you, you stop where you are. And you, if you can, you build a fire because it gives you something to do and something to focus on so you won't panic. Because as soon as you panic, you're that much closer to being dead. Sit still. The pe if you told somebody where you're going, which you should do, they'll come get you. You'll probably survive. But you have to stay calm, you have to think, and you have to trust God. Are you gonna be scared? Yes. We all would be scared. I would be scared and I know what to do. But we can't let fear overcome our ability to trust what we know. And we can't let fear overcome our ability to trust the God we know. And think about it spiritually. Panic and fear are incredibly dangerous to our spiritual lives. Think about this. One of the, we talked in Sunday school this morning, one of the things that Presbyterians used to be famous for is burning people at the stake. Later it was lynchings. I guess they got tired of barbecue. But when 
God, you're slow today. It's okay. You can laugh if you want to. I'm, I'm sorry. I've never eaten human flesh as far as you know. God, you're terrible today. It's not a question of living or dying. It's a question of staying calm or dying. That's all it is. And when we begin to panic and burn people at the stake, we have lost our way spiritually. When we begin to panic and think that there is no hope, there's nothing we can do, we're wrong. There is something we can do, but we can't fix everything ourselves. But if we give in to that panic, that hopelessness, that sense of helplessness, then we truly are lost. Not because God has abandoned us, but because we've stopped paying attention. Did you ever notice that the angel who announced Christ's conception and the angel who announced Christ's resurrection in a couple of the stories, they say exactly the same thing. Don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. And both of the women were named Mary. And they weren't both the same woman. Jesus is saying the same to us. We're his disciples now and we're in the boat. And it might be held together with who knows what. Probably gorilla tape now. But Jesus always reminds us, don't worry, I'm with you. Look to God. Lift up your voice as the Lord is near. He's always there and always comes to us out of love for us. A love we can't even fathom. There's no need for us to fear what we don't understand like our ancestors did. If it comes from God, even the mysterious should not be terrifying. We can be scared, but we can't let it stop us. Fear turns us inside out, causes us to lose hope. It can paralyze us and make us forget who we really trust. Now, I'll give you a, a personal disclosure. I hope my sermons help change your life even just a little. Because every one of them, as I write it, changes my life. I find something new every time. My younger son, Josh, had emergency surgery a couple of years ago because his appendix ruptured. And people would ask me, well, why are you here? You should be there at the hospital with him. And I said, I'm not called to be with him. I'm called to be here with you. And I know he's in God's care, no matter what happens. God is with him and God is with me and therefore we are together. I was concerned, but I was not scared. God is here with us. 
God was there with him, and I know whatever God does for us, or to us, or around us, will be out of God's love for us. So there's no reason to fear or panic. God's in control, and that's all we need to know. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, of the same substance and equal in power and glory, is, together with the Father and the Son, to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all ages. The Holy Spirit is the only efficient agent in the application of redemption. The Spirit regenerates us by grace, convicts us of sin, moves us to repentance, and persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. The Spirit dwells in us as our comforter and sanctifier, gives to us the spirit of adoption and prayer, and performs all the gracious offices by which we are sanctified and sealed unto the day of redemption. 